Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and Merry Christmas. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. 45 seconds later. Merry Christmas. Christmas. You got it. Merry Christmas. Jason has successfully wished us all a Merry Christmas. Thank you. Uh, It is, I think when this comes out, it's a few days before Christmas. And so as we've done, I, I think almost every year, we are taking a pause for the holiday and looking back into some of our previous seasons for some special holiday episodes. In this episode, we're looking back at 1980. And we are talking about the holiday horror movie, Christmas Evil. And uh, Jason, I know you're the, you're the holiday movie guru here. Um, and I, this, I think, was on your list of suggestions, but possibly because I had earlier suggested it when we initially did our 1980 season. Yeah, this, that's pretty much it. And also, we, in our holiday uh films our oeuvre of uh you know what josh uh, in our stocking full of mm, holiday yeah. films we have never done a, a christmas horror movie that i recall we did I do wrong? gremlins i mean again is gremlins a horror movie yeah. i mean is is this a horror movie right. you know <laughs> right so, that is a good question yeah so uh it was one uh you really wanted us to cover and josh i'm all about giving <laughs> yeah that is the season for that right um yeah i i know when we when we were putting together that 1980 season this was one that i even had considered having as my pick just because i think it's it's super interesting and underrated and weird and we ended up talking about little darlings which i think is also super underrated but i'm glad that we got the chance to talk about this film as well and i i have seen a ton of christmas horror movies and most of them are very very bad and I think that's maybe one of the reasons why I like this movie so much is because it defies the expectations that you might come into for a movie like this with this title and with artwork or trailers that you would see this guy dressed as Santa being violent and you kind of expect something really basic out of that and you get uh, something much different. And um, I really enjoy that. This movie is written and directed by Lewis Jackson in uh, essentially the only movie of any note that he ever made. Uh, and it's- How dare you, Josh? <laughs> How dare you, sir? Not give any credit to the transformation of Sandwich of Nightmares? Yeah, his early, he made two earlier films that don't appear to be uh, available anywhere and haven't been for decades. And uh, I watched an, an interview with him on the DVD that I have of this film. And he he is also kind of, dismissive of those earlier films that he made and one of them i don't remember if it was that one or his other earlier film he said that um they had to pad it out with like documentary footage about the making of the movie because the runtime wasn't long enough when they were releasing it at like drive-ins or whatever so not exactly um high quality stuff but this was his magnum opus it stars brandon maggart as perry who is the You know, we could say he's like the deranged Santa killer, which is what you expect out of a movie like this. But he's really just a misunderstood guy who loves Christmas. 
Is that all he is, Josh? Just, oh, okay. Well, I, um, I, uh, I, I misunderstood that he was misunderstood then. He's, you know, he's been traumatized and he just wants to spread joy and, and people don't, they're not receptive to it. I mean, he was traumatized in a very strange way. He saw his dad giving his mom the business, trying to eat that Christmas cookie, yeah. shall we say. Wow. And uh, and as a kid, that that ruined Christmas for him. Well, it wasn't but just really, his dad. Uh, it was that his dad was dressed as Santa. Was dressed as Santa. And had previously right. done a whole bit where he like convinced the kids that he really was Santa, and he came down the chimney and he ate the cookies and he left the presents. And small children could believe that that was true, and uh, he Harry believed it, while his brother did not. If your mom's gonna cheat on your dad, it might as well be with Santa Claus. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yes, he is, he is traumatized by this and thus grows up to become obsessed with Christmas and, and especially obsessed with the idea of who is naughty and who is nice and who deserves presents and who deserves punishment. What are you, Josh? I, I'm probably naughty. I don't know. I mean, if you are, if, if by the standards that Harry is applying to these children, I feel like we probably all are. I feel like you don't uh, interact with enough human beings to be naughty. Yeah, but I mean, Moss Garcia just had impure thoughts, and that was enough for for him. Uh, he's a, he's a bad little boy. He was boy. a bad little boy with his looking at his penthouse, <laughs> and uh, I I think if those are the standards, I I definitely have been bad. Looking at a lot of penthouses I lately. Mean, not Josh. that, but you know, I probably did when I was Moss Garcia's age. I don't know. Yeah, get, read the read the read the letters in penthouse sure. forum. I feel like we can get back to Jason's favorite subject of woods porn if we want to talk about penthouse magazines. I, mean, I thought Jason was going to introduce himself with, and I wish I had a lifetime subscription to penthouse <laughs> magazine. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the reference was at one point when he really kind of fully embodies Santa Claus. He does go on that Merry Christmas rant yeah. for like 40 seconds, which <laughs> yeah. was pretty good. Yeah. I thought he did a good yeah. job. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Maggart's good in this film. He's very good. He's very good. And I think that's the thing about Harry is that when when he, people are receptive, he's a great Santa Claus and people love him. But if they don't quite react in the way he wants, he's going to stab you in the eye with a toy soldier. Yeah, he'll do a murder yeah. on you. So he's... He's part Santa Claus, part Krampus. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, Krampus had not yet entered the the sort of pop culture saturation at this point, where, where now in the last, what, 10 years or so, we've had like, I feel like dozens of crappy Krampus movies, and he's always showing up as the basic Christmas villain. Oh, it was like a slow build because Krampus, you know, made his way over from Europe in like the 1600s. It was a yeah, slow burn a for while. Krampus. Yeah, Santa had a head start. <laughs> Josh, I have a question for you. Tell us about the worst Christmas horror movie you've watched recently. Recently. Well, you know what? It, this is actually good because I recently did a Christmas edition of my uh, column on VOD movies that I do over at Crooked Marquee and watched a really, really, really awful Christmas horror movie with a great title. I wanted to write about this movie, I think, just because of the title. It's called Nightmare on 34th Street. And come on, what a great fun title. You'd think that that would be really clever, but it was just awful and it was this like interminable plotting not scary poorly acted like sort of anthology thing it was 130 minutes long of these like disjointed christmas horror stories that had no resolution and no point so i can't recommend that what i mm -hmm. recommend is that some other filmmaker steal that title and make a better movie 
You're giving that um, film a lump of coal. I would. I would indeed. Mm -hmm. This is a much better film. So it was kind of hard to find some of our basic info on this film that I usually have tried to convey here. Uh, it did seem to have an $850,000 budget. I'm not sure if there are any, I couldn't find any box office figures, nor could I really find concrete details on how wide of a release this really did have. Uh, Wikipedia links to an article about it being released in uh, Pittsburgh, which is the uh, hometown of director Lewis Jackson. And in the interview that I watched on the DVD, Lewis Jackson mentions that it had played on 42nd Street in New York City in like a grindhouse theater for years. But I don't know that any of those places were reporting box office figures. And it's possible it never played in any other theaters other than those. So I don't know what it grossed box office wise, nor could I find a single review of this film from the time period in which it was released? Um, I maybe just am not up to the task research-wise, but usually I can find something, some little clipping. But other than a, an article from a Pittsburgh paper that was a news article about it being released there, um, I, I, I had no professional reviews that I could find. I don't know, you know, even movies like that, even if it played in a grindhouse in New York City for years on end those kinds of movies weren't at that time reviewed in like the new york times well good news for you josh i just put into chat gpt give me a pauline kale style review of christmas Eve. i didn't do okay, that josh because we don't want that i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a lump of coal for uh, bringing in yeah. chat gpt to our podcast sullying our podcast with ai so while i wasn't able to find uh professional critic reviews I did, however, <laughs> ask some children at the mental uh, institution. Close. <laughs> on, again, on the DVD, one thing that they have is the original comment cards from test screenings of this film. So I grabbed a few, wow. nice. a few quotes from uh, people who unwittingly went to watch this movie for free, most of whom did not seem to like it. Uh, comments include, of no value, uh, <laughs> Should not be shown around Christmas. We'll give weirdos bad ideas. Um, one person wrote simply, why? Uh, <laughs> another. You know, these are better than some of the review quotes you've pulled in the yeah, past. They're I more succinct, say. at least. <laughs> uh, another comment. Too dragged out. Needs editing or possibly destroyed. <laughs> mm. Just uh, don't even bother. Uh, I. I think you've hit on something for future seasons. Yeah. I, I, Maybe a mix of comment cards and reviews. <laughs> you know, the comment cards usually aren't available, but I did appreciate it was a little slideshow there on the DVD. Uh, someone said it was a uh, horror for children who I think maybe missed the point. And uh, there were a couple positive uh, comments on here. One person said it was a very good study of a psychotic personality, which, which I would agree. And another called it wonderfully absurd. But for the most part, that audience reaction was not strong, which may be one of the reasons why it didn't get wide distribution. Well, Josh, I got some meat for you. You ready? You want this meat, Let's Josh? Want to taste this meat? Uh, John, Wa John Waters calls it the greatest Christmas movie ever made. Yeah, and John Waters' support of this film later starting, you know, I think in the mid-80s or later 80s or whatever is really a key reason why it eventually did reach that cult audience because he's been an advocate for it for a very long time. 
Um, and I just saw John Waters in the Little Richard documentary. I highly recommend that. It's on uh, Max right now. Check it out. Right. Did he talk about Christmas Evil? No, but he did mention how his mustache is a tribute to Little Richard. All right. So I, this was yeah. also banned in the UK when it was released on home video as one of the video nasties, which was this period mm. in the UK where the government banned all sorts of kind of exploitation and horror movies that were eventually distributed in kind of underground ways on VHS, which is another way that I'm sure this would have built a cult following, but it certainly wasn't able to make money. Uh, it's been released under several titles. It's now known mainly as Christmas Evil, but it was uh, called You Better Watch Out. In fact, uh, the version that I watched had that as the title. It was released in ho on home video in some markets as Terror in Toyland and originally just had the working title of Santa, which was probably <laughs> the wrong title for it. Hey, Josh, have you ever heard the song Christmas Evil by South Korean boy band Stray Kids? I have not. Is that related to Me this neither. or does it just happen to have the same title? It just has the same title. But I will, um, well, that might not be my best work, Josh. Hear me out. A spinoff podcast, not Feel the Burns, which we also have to do, but Video Nasties, where we just cover all the uh, movies banned in Britain and other countries. That, I bet, uh, probably exists because that's, that's well known. I'm pretty sure no one else has taken up Feel the Burns, <laughs> but I bet there are podcasts devoted to Video Nasties. <laughs> What we're saying is send in your Patreon dollars to Dave so we can capture these projects for you and you can learn all about Ed Burns and bad movies. Yeah. Yes. You know, it's been a while since Feel the Burns came up on this podcast, so I'm, I'm glad you brought it back. That's, that's good. We need to keep that going. It's, um, it's got a life, Josh. <laughs> I, if you say so. And, and since it's the Christmas season, we could cover... Fitzgerald's family Christmas on Field of I'm Burns. pretty sure you mentioned that on our, whatever our last Christmas episode was. So uh, I'm just saying. You are saying. <laughs> Jason, had you ever seen Christmas Evil before? No, Josh, I'd never seen Christmas Evil because as a good British citizen of the 1980s, <laughs> I respected Margaret Thatcher and, um, and her decision to ban this film. Yeah, that sounds like something that you would do. <laughs> Oh, I, yeah, I, I had, this is, I think the third time that I'd watched it. And I, I really like this movie as I said, and as indicated by my possibility of picking it for our 1980 season. And I, I remember watching it the first time, not really knowing much about it. I was at the time doing blog posts about various Christmas movies and just was kind of throwing together some Christmas horror ones that were well known. And I just assumed this would be kind of dumb and trashy. And it's not. It was such a pleasant surprise for me watching it the first time and seeing how well constructed it is, how psychologically complex it is, how well acted it is, all of it. And uh, I watched it again and wrote an article about it a few years ago and, and then this time. And I feel like I like it more each time. I, this is a really good movie. I looked back at my like 1980 top 10 after this one to make sure it was on there. And it was uh, like number four. And I that was a good good position for it. So I left it there. All right. Um, there you go. So, Dave, had you ever seen this? No, I hadn't. Uh, and I, I'm glad I did. It's uh, it's an interesting take on a crazy Santa Claus. It is. Yes, it is. So, Jason, you want to mention anything else about uh, the background of this film? I mean, we should mention it's produced by Edward R. Pressman, legendary producer, right? 
We uh, covered some other movies that he's been involved with. We recently did uh, the Evil Dead 2 episode. He produced Crime Wave. We talked about David Byrne before. He produced True Stories. He's just a legendary producer. Uh, he produced the Ju Judge Dredd. So lots of movies. Uh, one I would highly recommend, Badlands, Terrence Malick. That is, that is a great movie, yes. And uh, this was early in his career as a producer. And part of this movie was shot at the toy factory that it was owned by Edward R. Pressman's mother. So Yeah, and I mentioned movies that were related, but we didn't cover, but he also produced Crow, Island of Dr. Moreau. So, you know, we've, we've had a lot of Pressman in our, uh, in our uh, awesome movies. Yeah, well, Josh. I mean, he had an incredibly prolific career, so it's not surprising that that came up. Um, Jason, I know you love the, the alternate casting. And again, from this interview with Lewis Jackson that I saw, apparently both Glenn Close and Kathleen Turner had auditioned for the role of Harry's sister-in-law and uh, didn't make the cut. So I got Glenn Close, Joe Beth Williams, Lindsey Krauss, and Kathleen Turner. So, um, you know, bunch of hacks. Yeah. And um, <laughs> Lewis Jackson, at least in that interview, expressed regret, even not that his choice of casting was bad, but I think he figured if somebody who later became that famous was in his movie, then more people would have uh, noticed it later on. No offense, Patricia Richardson, yes. mom on uh, Home Improvement. Yes. Well, uh, I think we'll get to all of those people and more when we come back and talk about our general thoughts on Christmas Evil. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this special holiday episode, we are looking back to our season on the films of 1980 to talk about horror movie Christmas Evil. And Jason, as I've said, I love this movie, but you didn't love it. I'm in a weird place with this movie because I didn't love it. I thought there was so much more bad than good, but I loved the good parts. And I feel like I will have to rewatch this because maybe I'm completely wrong, but it was just too much drudgery between all the delightfulness. So what was your favorite thing about it then? Well, I mean, I do like the psychology of this guy turning into Santa Claus um, or believing he's turning into Santa Claus. But I wish they they would have leaned even further into that because the things that slowed it down were like all the explanations of it, of I finally found the tune. I'm going to play the tune now. There's a tune, but I'm playing different notes. But here's a tune where like all that dialogue was just terrible, which you didn't ask me about. You asked me my favorite thing. I like the kills. The kills were great. You know, the like you had mentioned, the uh, stab you in the eye with the toy soldier kill was a good one. The uh, the slashing of the neck with the uh, the Christmas tree star after it's trying to smother the dude was a good one. And uh, I like the ending where out of nowhere he possibly flies away in a bag. <laughs> the ending is awesome and is often I think cited as as one of the best things. And I do love the idea that that it possibly seems to indicate that he really is Santa Claus, that he's really just sort of willed that into existence. And I love that idea. <laughs> I mean, it could be that. It could be that he's so delusional, you know, that he thinks he is flying uh, off in his uh, sleigh while he crashes to the ground, right? Sure. It could be any of these things. So, um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, if this would be a good movie to remake because there are so many things like I know you love it and I'm not taking away from this, but I think you could lean into certain aspects that this didn't 
lean into and uh, even take it further. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I think that could potentially work. But I think part of the reason that this movie works is because it has that sort of grimy, like exploitation feel along with the, you know, psychological examination and a, a movie that was a remake with maybe a bigger budget or uh, more time or whatever. I don't know that that would really capture the same sense of it. I I disagree with you that scenes like what you were describing where Harry goes off about like, oh, I found the tune. I, I, I thought that stuff was really evocative of his mental state and how he's deteriorating. And yeah, it's more fun when he's like dressed as Santa and kind of gallivanting around or stabbing people or whatever. It's more obvious that something is wrong with him there. But um, I liked those quieter moments too. And I feel like Brandon Maggart really sold the whole descent into madness via all of that stuff that you kind of need all of it to really chart Harry's journey that way. Well, I didn't mind the quieter moments. I just thought that they were clunky. And I would I do agree that Maggart did a good job. I just thought the dialogue didn't do justice to the kind of transformation. So um, I also, you mentioned the words grimy and exploitative. I think you could have done a lot more there. Within the first hour, you know, there are no kills. I think we could have gotten a little more of that kind of griminess in there. I guess, I mean, I think, yeah. And I can imagine that maybe a exploitation type audience might've been impatient with this movie in that way, because you come into a movie with this title and advertise this way. And you're like, when are people going to get murdered? But it is all about that slow build. And to me, the movie is just fascinating to watch because of the way that it depicts Harry and the way that you can slowly see him deteriorate. And, you know, he starts and like, he's clearly traumatized, but on the other hand, he's also a functioning human being. He's been just been promoted to manager at the toy factory where he works. He can get up every day and put on his tie and do his job and things just set him off. And he kind of devolves into this childlike state or whatever, where he become Santa Claus. So I, I thought it was necessary to really understand him. And you're right that it is slow, but I thought, thought it was slow in a good way. So yes, he's functioning, but he's still, you know, uh, mentally ill, yeah. let's oh, say, sure. um, I, you know, he's spying on all the neighborhood children, uh, including, you know, peering from window to window with binoculars, writing down all their actions on his own good and naughty list, you know, um, and he, yes, he got promoted, but, um, those that work for him don't respect him, Josh. No, they do not. And that's really what sets him off there is that the one guy who Frank. Yeah, does not respect Harry and in fact mocks Harry for his love of toys. Obviously no one else who works at the toy factory loves toys the way that Harry does. And this guy kind of cons Harry into taking his shift and lies about needing to go on a vacation with his wife or something. And then. Harry sees him at the bar later on mocking him and it just kind of, that's the catalyst right there, right? To, to set him off and, and tend, send him on this rampage. That, and I think we mentioned bad boy Moss Garcia, yeah. who he was going to punish that little bad boy. And I think <laughs> like the idea of him almost getting to do it and scaring the kid and also almost getting caught, he seemed to really get into that right and the difference though is with frank the co-worker 
he wants to murder him. He doesn't really consider any other course of action there. But with Moss Garcia, it's like, what the what is the worst he's gonna? He delivers like a, a a bag of dirt and with a little note with a sad face on it. I mean, it's pretty harmless, really. Well, he does hide in his bushes and attempt to grab him, Josh. So just yeah, that's not him, harmless, you know. Yeah. Um, the other thing, though, is um, yeah. Oh, you know, I I'll just murder Frank because Frank's an adult, but. I'll leave, uh, but I won't do anything to his kids because they're kids and I don't have anything against them. But murdering their father, that won't have any effect on them, right? Right. Well, I mean, again, it's I'm not endorsing it per se, but he does have his own specific kind of code of ethics, right? Like you said, he's not going to harm those children. He's going to bring them presents. He's going to kill Frank because Frank is a bad guy, but he's not even like he doesn't harm Frank's wife. Or whatever, right? He leaves her there to be traumatized by yeah, her he just, husband. Yeah, he just murders the husband in front of right, her. Right, but she's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, but I think that's what's interesting is that not that you can, I mean, I think you can sort of sympathize with him in some ways, but even if you don't, you at least understand, you know, that he has this specific kind of worldview about what is and isn't acceptable for Santa to do. I know this is this feels weird, Dave. Am I wrong? Doesn't this feel like Josh is making points I would normally make about like he's got a code of ethics, so it's not that bad, and I'm making points that Josh would normally normally make. He's scarring people for life and doing murders. Right. Josh. Yes, I'm not saying it's not bad. I'm saying that like from his point of view, there's a consistency to to what he he will and will not do. He's like a samurai is what you're, he's the ghost dog of uh, Santa murderers. Something like that. He has a specific, I mean, I think that's what's interesting is that like he takes the concept of Santa Claus and applies it in this extreme way. And when people are receptive, like I was saying earlier, you know, we have the whole sequence where he goes to that mental hospital for children and he shows up at first, the security guard is like, what is going on here? Why are you here? You crazy person, please leave. And then once the staffers come out and he opens his van and he's like, here, I have all these presents for children. Everyone is happy. They love him and he loves them. And it's a really nice moment. And you can imagine them the next day thinking, oh, what a wonderful experience that was. We had this nice Santa Claus guy come and bring presents for our, our children that are neglected. So, well, yeah. And that was based on a real situation from what I heard where they were donating to a hospital um, for people with special needs, but they didn't necessarily consider all the kids. They were like, we'll just donate what we can. I did think that was nice of them. Like, hey, you can't just give it to like 67% of the kids. You got to give gifts to all the kids, right? So um, that was good. Yeah, I mean, and that's, I think, another key thing that is applying his code. You know, he's at the company Christmas party and they say, oh, our company is donating toys to this mental hospital. But clearly those executives, they don't really care. It's just some sort of promotional thing that they can say the company did. And he's the only one who's actually thinking about, well, what are these children getting? And what are we really doing for these children? And uh, that's, I think, again, part of that kind of Santa code. The best sequence of people uh, kind of let's say uh, kind of going with the Santa thing or not even believing that he's Santa, but like just kind of encouraging it is when he is kind of uh, lurking about uh, outside of a ho holiday party, like some someone else's office party, and they invite him in. Hey, it's Santa, Santa, have a drink, hang out with us. And there's this like 
really wild dance sequence with uh, Harry Santa and the da- and the uh, the kind of workers that that was off putting in a wonderful way. Yeah, and I love that at the very beginning, right? Because he's lurking outside. It's some sort of like social club. It's like the Friends and Family Association or something like that. And right, he's lurk- which is a wacky name for <laughs> right. You know. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it's a party, like you said. And he's lurking outside, and then these two guys come out and they grab him and they're like, "Hey, Santa, we caught you. You got to come inside." And he's clearly like, "I'm going to have to murder these guys." <laughs> and they bring him inside, <laughs> and they're like, "Hey, everybody, look who we found!" And he thinks they're about to like mock him or whatever, and he literally starts reaching for something to like kill these people. And then all of a sudden, everyone's like. Oh, Santa, we love you. And then he's like, oh, good. I don't have to kill them. And then they have this, the the dance and all that stuff. And I love that. And I thought that was a great illustration of that fine line between, you know, if he is received the right way, he's jolly and has a good time. And if not, he murders. Yeah. Okay. So that is an opportunity that um, they take full advantage of where they miss a huge opportunity is uh, at the toy factory where there are no murders. That is a great setting for the murders, and um, they just blow yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. I wonder if because it was a real toy factory, if they couldn't, like, you know, if there were certain restrictions on what they could and couldn't do there or depict, because, yeah, you would think, like, murdering somebody via, like, the conveyor belt at the factory or some machine that, like, smashes them or whatever would have been would have been great. But, yeah, they never do that. Yeah. It's a shame. They could have learned from idle hands, Josh. Oh, well. We all could learn from idle hands. Now, I think of like um, mm. Child's Play 2 that has a great, great climax sequence that's set in the toy factory where they make the Chucky doll. That's fantastic. I want to go back to the ending where it's like, you know, he kind of flies away in this van that he's painted and, you know, he he's pretending to whip the reindeers. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's like um, I wanted more of that. I wanted, you know, that that sequence that I referenced, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. I wanted more of that kind of magical realism where this guy cannot delineate reality anymore as well. I just think there were the, like I said, the parts that shine, shine brightly, but you have to like dig through the dirt to get there. And I think they they left a lot of, um, you know, kind of opportunities on the table. Yeah. I mean, I, I could have used some of that magical realism elsewhere. I think that would have been cool and would have further emphasized the question of what is really happening and what is kind of Harry's skewed perception of what is happening. But I also kind of like the idea that it just suddenly appears in the ending and makes you question what has been happening the whole time. Um, So I, I, you know, I can see your point there, but I, I don't, it doesn't necessarily bother me. And the whole ending sequence, even before he flies away is really good where even that too, like you could argue that it's realistic, but on the other hand, he's got this mob holding torches or whatever. I mean, that's not something that's happening in like 1980s New Jersey or whatever. Where right? are they getting these torches? Right. I, I mean, I grew up in Jersey. I never saw torches when I, when I, when we were chasing people down. Right. I mean, but I think that's part of the point is that you're not necessarily like one of the comment cards also had mentioned something about like that scene is not realistic. It's like, well, no, of course it's not realistic. It's not meant to be realistic. It's meant to be evocative of like a Frankenstein movie or or Fritz Long's M or whatever. And it's very impressionistic in the way that he shoots it in that sequence. And so I think even before that moment with the van, you're already getting into the realm of like, it's sort of dreamlike here. And we don't really know where the line between what's really happening and what Harry thinks is happening. is. Right. And that's what I wanted. More yeah. Of. And I think there were opportunities. Um 
you know, at the at the Toy Factory's Christmas party where we get that kind of discussion of like, we're going to donate these toys, but only if you guys, you know, put your salary into it. I think, you know, throughout there were all these opportunities to do things like that. Yeah, it could have it could have come up earlier. And I think that would have been cool, but it doesn't really bother me that it doesn't. So what did you think about the uh, brief kind of the subplot with the cops? I felt like that was maybe a little superfluous. I, in a way, I enjoyed the like, you know, uh, dis- I agree with you um, on that, but I did enjoy the discussion of like, you know, which Santa is he? Is he the, is he the Santa we know or is he the Santa of like the Netherlands from, you know, uh, centuries ago doing this type of stuff, right? And um, while I didn't love the sequence, I'm always happy to see Raymond J. Barry. Raylan, what are you going to do, Raylan? I knew I, we were just talking the other day about how Jason was going to bust out some other obscure impression. And Raymond J. Barry was not the one that I anticipated, but I appreciate it. I, I didn't either. I just uh, and I would like to rewatch uh, Justified just so I could hear his voice again, because I don't know if that was any good. I think it was. You and know. he has a distinctive voice. I mean, he's so much younger here, obviously, than he was on Justified. And I don't know that I recognized the way he looked. But I once he was speaking, I was like, oh, I know who that guy is. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of actors I didn't recognize, including Patricia Richardson, who we mentioned, and uh, uh, Grosh, played by Peter Friedman, who's so good as Frank in uh, Succession. I didn't recognize him. The one I did recognize was Mark Margolis, who played Hector Salamanca on uh, Breaking Bad. Yeah, and he's uh, he's one of the guys in that party that we were talking about, one of the guys who goes and grabs Harry from outside and brings him into the Friends and Family Association or whatever. But... But yeah, I mean, going back to that cop subplot, it's fun to watch. And and Dave, I think your favorite part was that Santa lineup, right? You enjoyed that? Yeah, that's great. I mean, that that's like the whole uh, concept, like all put into one scene. You know? Yeah, and it is fun to watch and and silly. But I feel like either we needed more of it, we needed the cops actually like chasing after him. Agreed. In that, ending. that would have been great. Yeah, yeah that would have been really or, fun. Or we could have just gotten rid of it because it doesn't really go anywhere. Who doesn't want to see a cop car chasing a van that's a Santa sleigh? Right. I think that would have been fun. And even, you know, maybe that that ending could have even been more mystical if the cop car, you know, falls off or whatever. Stops, yeah, stops. Or it stops short and watches right, it. And right. what the fuck? Yeah. He really is Santa Claus. He really is Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know that we needed that, but if it's not in there, it does seem sort of, because it takes so long, they don't show up until what three quarters of the way through the movie or something like that and then they have like two scenes and it doesn't really yeah yeah you could eliminate right but i feel like the stuff with harry's brother played by jeffrey demon another one of these character actors who's done a million things um i like that stuff and I, i thought that showed all the sort of psychological trauma that harry has been dealing with for his entire life yeah the brother was good it was a little weird of a relationship with you know, the wife telling uh, Philip to leave Harry alone and this and that. It was a little, and then like he attempts to murder his own brother. And I'm not talking about Harry attempting to murder Philip. I'm talking about that in reverse, which is very strange. I don't necessarily go for that. Um, what I liked more than that, Josh, were the shots of Harry walking down the streets in a snow filled. New Jersey suburb, which is illuminated by all the Christmas decorations. That stuff looks really good. And it makes you wonder why Lewis Jackson didn't get more movies. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the movie does look really good. Um, And 
there's that that those sequences i think have that sense of like eeriness and and otherworldliness where where again you you're just it's off kilter enough that you're thinking maybe like or have we have we left reality here so I do appreciate that. And uh, I thought the interiors of his home looked really good too. Nice and creepy haunted house. Like, wait, wait, I got to jump in on that because that's all stuff that Jackson had collected. So what's going on with Lewis Jackson in real life? Who said that he came up with this idea years before he made it after he had smoked a joint and saw a vision of Santa Claus holding a knife. Yeah. He, he spent, and I think he spent the next 10 years like collecting Christmas stuff that they then used to put in Harry's uh, apartment. So yeah, it is. It is great. But yes, it also makes you wonder about Lewis Jackson himself. <laughs> but I wanted to to not defend Harry's brother for trying to kill Harry. But again, you kind of like at that point, he's not just like, oh, I'm fed up with my brother. He knows at that point, like Harry has murdered a bunch of people. And he's like, what have you done, Harry? How could you do this? And I think it's like, you know, all of the frustrations that he's had with him over all these years. Plus now he's a murderer. Like, I just can't take it. I get that, but we don't get enough of that in the movie to justify that, right? No pun intended. (laughs) Thank you, Raymond Raymond J. J. Barry. Yeah. But I mean, you know what I mean? Like, we know that they had that incident as a kid. And then really, we never see them interact other than the phone. We see the wife tell Philip, like, hey, be nice to Harriet. And Harry says, I can't come to Thanksgiving. I have plans and then he just like hangs up so it's like oh harry you're not coming to thanksgiving you know there's not really much meat on that where he's like you screwed up again and you've done this and you ruined that um but it is nice that we can also consider this a thanksgiving ah yes i know that's important to you so uh, i will say i mean it's it you know you can't really count it but I, i i watched deleted scenes uh from this and there is a scene that was cut of them it's still on the phone but it has exactly what you were talking about with the brother kind of like yelling at Harry, like you screwed things up again and talking about his job and like, I, I can't keep taking care of you and all this stuff. So it adds a little bit of that dimension there that's maybe missing. In the final. It is missing because like you said, th- there are those elements of like, you know, where Philip implies that he does have to take care of him. But yet we see that Harry is in a management track at a toy company and he's ascending, you know, it's not like, they think he's a screw up. Like even the the other executives are like, are the workers upset that you're one of us now, Harry? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you also, though, maybe get the sense that he has been promoted inadvertently. Like he didn't really get that. Like he wasn't trying to become a manager. He, he doesn't want he doesn't right. want it. He like he misses the right. line. He misses working right. on the and line. And if, if you know, if he hadn't snapped and gone on a rampage, would he have really been a good toy company manager? Probably not. A much more uh, boring film. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not the movie we want to watch. So, uh, should we rate this out of five uh, sharpened toy soldiers? Maybe I don't know. Yeah, yeah, five toy soldier murders. Yeah. So, um, I gave it two, but if you give it four, I don't fault you for that, and I would watch it again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, two seems pretty negative. So, and you just seem. I just got so bored with the parts that were boring and I just thought there was so much clunkiness. So yeah, sure. You, you can, you know what? It's Christmas, Josh. Let's give it two oh, and a half. So generous of you, Jason. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give it four and that's bumped up from the last time I saw it. I just, I think everything about this movie is fascinating and I, you know, watching it again, I, I was even more taken with it. So I'm going to give it four deadly toy soldiers out of five. 
Uh, Dave, how would you rate this? I'm going three, and I could definitely see now that I know what the movie is, like maybe liking it even more the next time. I just wanted to shout out a, a line that I loved. Uh, the guy on the TV says, Santa Claus, that's the only way the police can identify him. Like, that's how he <laughs> describes it. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that, that report. Was really and they have, you know, they like interrupt a Christmas movie for the special report about the Santa murders yeah. while all the kids are watching. And that guy is that reporter is based on Geraldo Rivera who had won a Peabody Award already at this time, though he wasn't a national star. He won a Peabody for doing a report on a hospital that took care of children with special needs and that were in abhorrent conditions and just um, helped get that place shut down 15 years later. He didn't win a Peabody for his special report about Santa murders? No, nor with, uh, you know, but he was like, wasn't he like the OG of like talk show fights? Yeah, 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 he was. I mean, but I think before mm -hmm. that, like you're describing here, he was a serious reporter who, you know, uh, did investigations and stuff like that. I was on a flight with him once. Great story. We'll come back Thanks. in a moment and talk about the legacy of Christmas Evil. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode, this special holiday episode, we are looking back at 1980 and talking about Christmas Evil, the Christmas horror movie, and the legacy of... It's not a horror movie. Can we stop? Right. It's not a horror right. movie. I... It's a psychological thriller movie? It is, yeah. I mean, I think it's categorized as a horror movie, which is why I keep saying that. But I agree. It is, it is more of a psychological thriller. And I think part of the reason that maybe it didn't achieve initial success is because people expected it to be more like a traditional yeah, horror movie. I think that's a fair assessment, yes. Josh. So, I mean, the legacy, as we've talked about already a bit, is that it built up this cult following over time, thanks especially to this endorsement by John Waters, who started touting it, I think, in the 1980s, only a few years after it was initially released. And um, I didn't get a chance to listen to it, but there is a whole John Waters commentary track on the DVD that I have. So he's really remained a champion of this movie for many, many years. I think John Waters doing a remake of this film would be awesome. That would, I feel like, like John Waters would make it too self-aware. Campy. Yeah, too campy. Yeah. Like part of what's, what's good about it is that it takes its ridiculous concept totally at face value. How about Ty West? I could go for that. Yeah, I'll take that. So unfortunately, Lewis Jackson, as we said, really has not done anything. This is the last credit he had as a writer or director. And I was trying to find info about what the hell he's been up to for the past 40 years. And it was hard to find much. In that interview that's on the DVD, he mentions how uh, after this film came out, he was offered the chance to direct a movie about a killer Easter bunny. And he turned that down because he didn't want to just be pigeonholed this way. But maybe he should have done it. Yeah, get pigeonholed. Yeah. A killer Easter bunny, evil tooth fairy, um, fireworks that are out of control. There's so many different holiday craziness things we could yeah, do. Yeah, and there have been. I mean, in, in recent years, I mean, there's been an explosion of this kind of stuff. And there are all the, well, I don't know about the fireworks, but there's definitely movies, horror movies about the Easter bunny and about the tooth fairy and about all sorts of other holiday figures. Huh. I mean, it doesn't have to be fireworks. It's July 4th. It can be evil George Washington, evil Statue of Liberty. You know, any of these towns. They're easy, Josh. Yeah, let's make it. Um, so I don't know what he has been doing to like make a living, but apparently he has been attempting to get other projects off the ground for years. In that interview, he talked about some movie he was trying to make called The Seat, which obviously never 
got made. And uh, I found this quote from him in a 2005 interview from Film Threat. He said, I am determined to now do a trilogy, which will essentially express my view of where we are at this moment of time. One film is about a cult killing people who drive SUVs while talking on cell phones. At least that's mm-hmm. the high concept version. Another is about a man. Not, not much of a high yeah, really concept, not. but okay. Another is about a man who gets hit with radiation and finds himself growing so cold, only electricity can keep him warm and he becomes an electric junkie causing blackouts. I mean, that sounds amazing. The third is too complicated to summarize, he says. Okay. The second one sounds like what they should have done with the Jamie Foxx Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know about these concepts, really. And uh, maybe they would have been great if he'd actually gotten to do them. But I, I also wonder if maybe this is a guy who just struck gold one time and is not really going to ever do it again. I mean, he didn't really strike gold because he wasn't able to make other films and seemingly didn't make money off of this one. But I'm surprised knowing that John Waters is such a fan, he couldn't just like be like, hey, John Waters, can you help me find the money to make this I movie? I mean, John Waters can't find money to make his own movies. But he would, he does, you know, as hard as it is, he does find the money to make it. And I think he would uh, love the panache and the style of tackling something. Yeah. I mean, John Waters hasn't made a movie in at least like 15 years and has talked about the difficulty of getting those financed. So I think, I mean, his endorsement would mean something, but I don't know that it would be enough. I think they, I mean, you know, let's, uh, let's pitch it around Hollywood. All right, we'll do it. We're going to make it happen for Lewis Jackson. So, so there's this cult, right? (laughs) You've seen SUVs, haven't you? You own a cell phone, don't you? I mean, to be fair, that was from 2005. It was probably slightly fresher then. And now you just do it with influencers or something like that. Um, so Brandon Maggart, um, I feel like this is what he's best known for. Although he had a, a, a decent career for a little while. He was on a bunch of TV guest spots and was a regular on a show called Brothers for a long time, which I'm not really familiar with, but ran for many, many, many episodes. Uh, had some. It was on Showtime and it was a big deal. I guess it was. Have you seen it? No, because it was the 80s and I didn't really have Showtime yet. But um, he has a Tony nod. He was in Dress to Kill. And of course, Josh, Fiona Apple's dad. Yeah, I feel mm-hmm. like that's what he's best known for now is just being the dad of Fiona Apple. But um, the last uh, acting role he had was in 2007, and after that, he uh, has focused on painting and writing. And I'm uh, I'm sure Fiona can uh, can help him out if he ever needs a buck. She and uh, PTA, yeah, not a thing no, anymore, right? But she's she's oh, still well, quite well, successful. She's great and angry. Yep. Yes, much oh, like yeah. Harry. <laughs> when is Fiona Apple going to do a Christmas album tying uh, I mean, this Christmas is a, Evil? That's what we need. That would be perfect. She's got the right vibe yeah. for it. Maybe know? she oh, could yeah. star in the remake. How about that? I'm down. But she, what did she act in? She acted she? in something, I don't know. Right? Maybe. I mean, she's not known for acting, but I feel like she could do it and, and get, get her dad to like cameo. Let's make this happen. John Waters is directing. No, Ty West is directing. Fiona Apple is starring. Brandon Maggard cameo. John Waters cameo. This is going to happen. No, Josh. Lewis Jackson is going to be directing. Okay. okay. I don't know. And I'm looking at her filmography right now. And there's like some voice work. And that's really. Yeah. Cool. I don't think so, she's known no. for acting. But I mean, she's 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 got a presence that I feel like could translate. Yes, Josh. Translate. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we mentioned some of these character actors who show up in this in this film in small roles. I mean, the, the most prominent one is Jeffrey DeMunn, who plays Harry's brother, incredibly prolific 
character actor, um, was uh, on Billions recently for, I think, most of that run. Um, he he must be like friends with Frank Darabont because he's in every Frank Darabont movie, uh, including The Shawshank Redemption, which we did an episode on and was a regular when The Walking Dead first launched when Frank Darabont was right. the showrunner. He was really annoying in The Walking Dead. not And that was probably his character's point, but he's done a lot. I mean, I think Peter Friedman is probably right now the most well-known because of Succession. Um, he also has a Tony nod and uh, the former husband of Joan Allen. Oh, yeah. Joan Allen. Yeah, you know what? I think mm. I, I, I just glossed over him because I haven't watched Succession, and so he wasn't one that I recognized. But mm. Well, you should uh, watch it, but you never I know. might. I don't know. But uh, you mentioned Mark Margolis, known for being on uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Patricia Richardson of Home Improvement, who plays Moss Garcia's mom. Raymond J. Berry as one of the detectives. And I was also happy to see Ellen McElduff, who plays Harry's mom, who uh, gets it on with Santa and was the madam mm. in Working Girls, which we recently discussed oh my. on our, in wow. our uh, 1987 season. Uh, Patricia Richardson, four Emmy and two Golden Globe Dons for Home Improvement. Yulia's Gold, that's an underrated film that's kind of lost to time. Uh, she got an independent spirit nod. And Josh, she's in a thing called County Line, No Fear. This County Line uh, film series is one that keeps going that I have no idea about. I don't either. Yeah, I haven't seen her in a lot. I don't think I've seen her since Home Improvement, but uh, good for her for continuing to work. And same with Raymond J. Barry, who's got about five projects uh, going right now. And uh, besides uh, Justified, you know, falling down and walk hard or born on the 4th of July. Lots of good yeah, stuff. Yeah, and he's, he, yeah, I feel like all of these these people are legit, like Jeffrey DeMunn too and Mark Margolis, they have these like distinctive voices where you recognize them maybe, but you, once you hear them speak, you're like, oh, I know that guy. I've heard him talk before when they show up in these different projects. Well, I mean, this is a credit to this film in that, you know, if you look at all like the Tony nominations or whatever, you're getting a lot of probably like really great New York theater actors to support the, um, the right. film. Right. And I think that's, that's actually really ironic, too, because Mark Margolis famously just uses the bell in Breaking Bad. So. <laughs> right. But I mean, he's been in a million other things. And, and yeah, you know, sure. um, I don't know what else exactly I would have seen him in. But he also, I think, was someone who I, I, I recognize that voice. But I think, Jason, what you're saying is is important because, I mean, this does have a ridiculous premise, obviously, but you get these serious actors who take it seriously, and that's part of what makes it work. Or not work. Depending on your point of view, but I think it does. So uh, anything else you want to mention about the legacy of this film? Josh, which mythical holiday icon would you sleep with first? <laughs> like sexually? Well, yeah, like, you know, there's a lot of that in here. So, I, I, you know, I guess. I don't know. I don't think. Well, I guess Harry's mom is. But she's not really having sex with Santa. She's not hot for Santa. She's hot for her husband. Josh, stick to the question. Yeah, uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll pick the tooth fairy. I don't know. What's your choice? Mm. I mean, the tooth fairy is a good Thank pick. Um, can't uh, can't can't go back to the Easter bunny. That that ended messy. <laughs> uh <-huh>. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad we had this. As our as our wrap up discussion there, <laughs> so that's Christmas Evil, and that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. You can wish us a happy holiday online and on social media. Awesome Movie Year dot com, Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram, Awesome Movie Pod on the thing that 
probably won't exist by the time we get this episode out there. Uh, Jason Harris Comedy or Jay Harris Comedy on all the things. Uh, uh, hey, and go for Jason on Letterboxd. Also, if you want more Christmas spirit from me, uh, at this time I'm acting in a, uh, a very Vegas Christmas uh, show. That's what it's called, maybe. A Very Vegas Christmas Carol. I should know the show I'm in. It's uh, at the Majestic Rep Theater here in Las Vegas. Yeah, check out Jason live and in person. Uh, you can find some old stuff from me at joshbellhateseverything.com. I am at joshbellhateseverything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on X, Twitter, whatever, as well as on Blue Sky and on Letterboxd. And you can listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And Dave, isn't a, a friend of uh, Piecing It Together having a special showing of this film? Yes, absolutely. Jimmy Gonzalez, who's been on a, a few of our live shows, uh, he's doing a virtual reality Grindhouse VR event this coming Friday at the time that this goes up where they will be actually showing Christmas Evil in a virtual reality space where you can hang out with a bunch of other horror movie-loving nerds and uh, watch the movie and talk about it afterwards. It should be a fun time. So VR screening of Christmas Evil, Jason live in person. What a bunch of weird-ass stuff for our listeners to check out this week. <laughs> I mean, it's oh. not really weird to see me in person. Oh, isn't it? Josh. I've seen There's you in a... person. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, no, those are great. They're, the they're great one. events. I, I should not, I should not be mocking. Definitely check out the VR screening. Definitely check out Jason in a very Vegas Christmas Carol, and definitely check out our next episode. What is that, Jason? Josh, it's uh, the beginning of uh, Christmas, so we're going to do another Christmas episode, and we're going to do our first anime episode, which is about time we get to some anime. The beloved Tokyo Godfathers. And that will be looking back at our 2003 season. So tune in next time for Tokyo Godfathers. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.